podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Little down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boys. Come on, boys. Boom, the boys are back. And folks, uh, as you guys are listening to this, Blitz Month is officially here. We we started it last week. Our streak, we're going to, we started the streak. We're going to have at least one show every single weekday from now until the end of November. We'll see what happens in December, but it is here. Now, this is a very special episode. Uh, This will not be his only uh, appearance during Blitz Month. We will get this man on for his official predictions, but there is no one better in the K-State world when it comes to previewing the opponents, and this man has already done a lot of legwork on the entire Big 12, and then when I brought this up to him, he then did all the legwork on the other four teams that we will not be playing. He is the only guy that last year was not a Baylor believer. So if you need any more proof that this guy knows what he's talking about, just go back to last month's Blitz Month episode. He is the godfather of K-State Sports Advanced Analytics. He has changed the way that countless folks watch not only football, but basketball as well. Every single week in the season, he's breaking down plays with his GIF series that you can find on Twitter and on KSO. He has a son that bullies me for giving him such great introductions. It is the man, the myth, the legend, a first ballot Hall of Famer in the game of life, one of my good friends and maybe the best friend i've ever made from the internet you know him as ksu underscore fan i know him as the great jimmy goheen jimmy how are you doing my friend i'm doing well it's it's exciting to be on the verge of college football again um, especially with the state of the kansas city royals um because i haven't i've pretty much given up and haven't followed them at all this year uh so so football coming um, Big 12 football coming the, the, this year of the kind of new and old Big 12 combined. And then, you know, with the news of Colorado, looking forward to more new Big 12, possibly in the next few days, starting today. Um, lots of fun if you, if you like college football and especially if you like the Big 12 and uh, are excited for K-State season this year. Yeah, I think as folks are listening to this, uh, I believe the – NFL Hall of Fame game, I think, might be on this Thursday. So a week after we're recording this, uh, and a few days down the road, uh, if you're uh, listening to this on release date, um, you know, I always hype myself up for the Hall of Fame game. I'll watch like a half of it, then I'll start doing something on my phone. But football's almost here. Week zero, if you guys are listening to this on release day, is less than 25 days away. Uh, it's almost here. It is almost here, and I'm pumped about it. Uh, before we get into uh, what was originally on the outline, of course, the big news, and uh, he- here's a little bit of danger as we're recording this on the 27th. Who knows what's going to happen over the weekend, but Colorado is coming back to the Big 12. We are now going to get back to 
five of the original big eight teams back in the big 12 with Oklahoma leaving Colorado coming back uh, first. Uh, what was your reaction when all the uh, respected media members were saying, Hey, this is a done deal. This is happening. Um, and you know, what do you think is next for the big 12? Uh, I, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I was pretty indifferent when Colorado left the league. Cause I think at the time, Nebraska and Missouri were more of the major stories, uh, but I don't. I've. I don't not like Colorado. I never liked their fans um, very much. Although I, I think that's probably changed a bit. I went out to a game in 1996 when we played them out there when I was still in school, and it was, it was like negative negative 20 wind chill at kickoff. K State lost 12 nothing. The field was a sheet of ice. Um, it's also. Uh, my my wife Alicia, we just had started dating, and she went with me and a couple other friends out to the game. So I have that kind of connection to Colorado. Plus, just watching uh, K State rise in the nineties, uh, nineteen ninety three, we tied them, which was kind of a, a bittersweet game at the time, and then we ended up beating them for the first time in ninety seven. Then had a pretty good run there in the early two thousands of of playing Colorado and beating them pretty regularly when. New Heisel was there, and then uh, the dude from Boise State that that was kind of weird. I can't remember Hawkins, his name. Right? Uh, yeah, Hawkins. So it's 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 cool to see him back. I think it's it's a good step, and I think you know, given what we know about your mark, this is not the end. There's going to be more news coming. I'm sure he's got. This is just the first domino of of what will at least be two, and maybe three or four. I know your hatred of. The number of teams is going to come up with that, but but I think it's probably good long-term for the Big 12. I was talking to some friends about it this morning. It's good that we're in a state of the Big 12 that there's no – I don't think there's any ego program you have to learn worry about, like Texas or even Oklahoma. I think we've got a lot of good schools. We're going to be third in the money. We're not going to pass SEC or the Big 10, but that's fine. We're going to be in good shape. And I think it's a pretty good long-term move for the league. Yeah, I think everything's setting up that the Big 12 is going to cement themselves as number three. It will be interesting to see where things go. Uh, I have a hatred for the number 14. Um, Again, I'm hoping by the time folks are listening to this, there's uh, a little bit more information. But I think I I would come about as close to melting down as I can, and I promised I wasn't going to uh, if we added Colorado because, I, I mean, you know, I'm more pumped about what this means for the Big 12 than Colorado coming back. But if we add Colorado and then UConn and sit at 14, I might have to go back on my promise not to melt down about expanding. I wouldn't be happy. Uh, But we're not going to worry about that. We're not going to worry about that. Hopefully by the time folks are listening to this, uh, Oregon and Washington are going to be in the Big 12. Uh, Things are going to get wild. Things are going to get crazy. And through it all, uh, Pac-12 stew is going to be melting down, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's probably the thing I love the most is everyone who tried to kill off the Big 12, they're now getting their receipts pulled. I love it. Something else I love, Jimmy, absolutely love, Charlie Hustle. Folks, as you guys are listening to this, we are inching closer to them dropping some brand new K-State gear for the football season. 
So I'm going to say this. I'm not even going to whisper it because if you look hard enough at some of the social media videos that K-State football has put out over the last few days, you might have already seen a sneak peek of one of the, the new NIL shirts that Charlie Hustle is doing to put some money in the pockets of K-State football players. So go back, comb through every video you can find over the last five days and see if you can get that little preview. Not only do, are they going to have those coming out soon, they're going to have some brand new officially licensed K-State gear. You guys know I'm obsessed with the crewnecks. I also love the t-shirts. I'm already trying to figure out which white or maybe like ash gray shirt I'm going to wear to the home opener because I'm in a white section for the stripe out. You know, sucks, but it is what it is. At least I'll be the best looking guy in my section because I have a Charlie Hustle t-shirt. Also, we're in August. Keep Well, we're almost in August. Keep your eyes uh, peeled because we will have another giveaway this month because every single month from now until the end of April, we will have at least one Charlie Hustle t-shirt giveaway. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. Check them out at charliehustle.com. All right, so let's get into it. We're going to talk Big 12. We're going to preview everything from our own nice little lens here at Bosco's Boys with Jimmy, a.k.a. Casey underscore fan. So, so much was made of the preseason all-conference team, and I think that's the sign that Media Days does its job. It gets people talking about college football in July, and it drives people to different Big 12 previews. Um, that said, I know you didn't vote in it. We're going to change that next year. We're going to get. We're going to make sure you have an official ballot next year. Um, but when you went through all these different Big Twelve previews, who were some guys you were surprised didn't receive some of that preseason love, some of that preseason honor? Yeah, good question. I, I've got I've got one from pretty much every position group. If you don't mind, no. This is this is why. Jimmy, this is why I bring you on because everyone sometimes kind of is like, oh, you know, Scott, he's just vibes. He's just emotion, all this type of stuff. I bring on people way smarter than me to bring the boneheads good information. So, yes, you go through it. Uh, you can start offense, defense. You can start wherever you want. Give me the guy from each position you thought could have been an all-conference player, preseason all-conference player. Yeah, I, I'll start with quarterback because I think that's where, you know, there was – for a K-State fan, there was plenty of controversy um, about Jalen Daniels. We'll get into more of that later. But I, I think the pick, you know, and this is no – I mean, I love Will Howard, but Dylan Gabriel, in my opinion, should have been the quarterback. Here's a guy that has had three seasons over 3,000 yards passing and 25 touchdowns. You know, his first two seasons at Central Florida, who's now a league member, when when he was with Heupel, he had – 3,000 yards each season, blew up as a freshman, was really good. Uh, his junior year, he was off to a great start and got hurt and then ended up transferring to Oklahoma and then had a pretty good year last year with the first-year first coach in Venables, who's more of a defensive-minded guy. I mean, he's a guy that's got 11,000 yards and 95 touchdowns in his career uh, as a quarterback. So based on the success he's had, I would have, I would have tabbed him as, as the quarterback in the big 12. Cause I think that those are worthy numbers. That's um, who was on my ballot, by the way. Yeah. So he should have been pat myself offensive, on the back for that one. Offensive line wise. Uh, I, I think uh, Clark Barrington uh, at Baylor, he transferred from BYU and had a really good career there, started 40 games and was on multiple all American teams uh, the last two seasons at BYU actually. So him not getting on the, the preseason uh, was probably my biggest surprise looking at all the offensive linemen. I mean, there's good ones. Cooper Beebe, obviously. Um, you know, I, I would probably 
to be honest, I probably would have put Barrington on instead of Nowitzki from KU. Although Nowitzki's really good player came came from Buffalo uh, with Leipold, but but I would have put Barrington on there. Um, moving to running back, it's a little tougher with running back because there's a lot. With, Big Twelve lot of, lost a lot of good backs last year. Also um, brought in a handful of good guys. Yes. BYU has a transfer running back who I tabbed on my list and had him as my uh, preseason newcomer of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Very solid player. But I, I, I think uh, the one I would have picked was Taj Brooks from Texas tech. Who's had a pretty good career um, has over 1500 yards and 18 touchdowns at Texas tech had a really good year last year, 722 yards, almost five yards of carry. And they tech lost some really good backs through their four, four best rushers. So I think Brooks probably is going to have a big year in that offense, given uh, what they did last year. Uh, when you go to wide receiver, um, the, the one I would have tabbed was Javon Baker from uh, UCF. Really good player. Uh, former, formerly was at Alabama. Um, had a really good year last year, 796 yards rushing, 4.2 yards per catch, and five touchdowns. And, and UCF actually has two really good uh, wide receivers that were both SEC transfers. So, uh, uh, we'll get to more of them later. I think they're kind of could be my sleeper team for the league. Uh, but Javon Baker was the guy I would have picked and given him a shot. And then uh, tight end wise, BYU's got a really good tight end named Isaac Rex. Uh, he's got 940 yards receiving and 21 touchdowns the last three seasons, which is better than any Big 12 tight end. I mean, I mean, I, obviously we love Ben Sennett. He didn't get the nod. Uh, uh, J- J- uh, Jatavion Sanders from Texas is very worthy, really good tight end. But I think Isaac Rex probably should have got the nod there. Uh, Mason Fairchild, Fairchild uh, from KU is also really good. So that would have been my offensive list of guys that that could have got on that preseason list. Any questions on that? Any comments? Well, so, so where do you land? First off, I love all that. A couple of those guys were on my list, so I, I feel good about mine. Um, but where, where do you land kind of with the uh, Ben Senate getting the nod at fullback? Now, uh, K-State is known for this. I, I believe Nick Lenners was a postseason fullback yeah. award winner when he was even more of a tight end than uh, Ben Senate is. Uh, d- does any part of you, uh, you know, I don't know what, what your thoughts are on uh, the postseason awards. Are you mad that K-State is morally corrupt enough to officially – uh, nominate Ben Sennett as a fullback to make it easier for him to get the postseason uh, all-conference award? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I kind of just wish – Is it? That was a pretty I – mean, I, that was a that was a me trying to be kind of – like, I don't personally no, care. But, but No, but I, but I do think it's a good question in terms of modern football. Like, I almost think they should make it an H-back spot. And then you could tab another tight end there or you could tab a fullback there because – who has a fullback really in this league anymore? Maybe kind of Iowa state, maybe. I mean, nobody really uses a fullback that much. We do a little bit, but usually it's a tight end lined up at fullback. So it's, it's a good, it's a good point. Like if you get fullback of the year and like two teams use a fullback, how, how worthy is that award? It's kind of, it's kind of not as meaningful as it used to be uh, when you, when teams had a real fullback. So I, you know, I think you meant it kind of funny, but I do think it's a worthy talking point to talk about as, as fans when, when we look at some of these awards. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I'm all for K State doing whatever they need to to get more guys on all conference. Yes, so, I'm fine with that too. I'm yeah. good with that. Let's talk about the thing that at least, uh, you know, cause I don't want to say controversy, but there's a lot of talking points here in Kansas City uh, and, and even made it onto the airwaves. Uh, I think really, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say this, 810 really. Uh, tried to make this controversial when they brought on uh, Stan Weber during their morning show. And then Jason Anderson tried to, you know, he's still kind of harping on it anytime college football gets brought around. Uh, what is your take on Jalen Daniels winning the preseason player of the year award? Um, I think we kind of heard who would have received your vote, but what was your reaction when you saw that? Um, I, I guess maybe I was a little surprised, but, the KU offense hype train got going so much last year and, and some of it deservedly. So um, they had a, a top 15, top 10 offense by most advanced metrics. So I do give them credit and they had a few good games in the big 12, uh, but it's hard also when you see that, that being put up numbers that were nearly equal to Daniels when he got going, when he had some good games. Um, also, I look at Daniel's career versus Will Howard career numbers, and they're all, almost identical. I mean, Daniels has a few more passing yards, about 3,600, but Will has 3,000. Daniels has 26 touchdowns. Will has 24 touchdowns. Daniels has 11 interceptions. Will has 15 interceptions, but 10 came in that true freshman COVID season. Uh, Daniels has 528 yards rushing and 13 touchdowns. Will has 570 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns. So across the board, Will Howard, Jalen Daniels, both have had kind of rocky careers, split time. Both uh, have had injuries. Both missed games last year for various reasons. But their career numbers are almost identical. So um, that's where I've got – that's where I would go Dylan Gabriel just because their career numbers are impressive and incredible when you compare them to Jalen Daniels. And I don't think that's just because of injury. And Dylan Gabriel had his own injury year. So um, I think, I think it's fair to say um, maybe John Jalen Daniels got a little more pub than he should have. And some of that I think is system related because I do think Leipold has a pretty good offensive system. So, so you did kind of lay it out, you know, the Howard's versus Daniel debate. I'll, I'll say this. If you were starting a big 12 team from scratch, uh, and you have one year to win, which one of those two guys are you going with? Well, one guy came in and led his team to a Big 12 title. The other team went three and six in the Big 12 and finished tied for seven. So, like, I mean, I know KU's defense sucked, but still, I mean, Will Howard's passing numbers, passing efficiency, K-State's explosiveness when he came in the game, all of those things surpassed KU's numbers, um, and K-State – ran the ball just fine with these Vaughn, and I think they will in the future as well. So I would take Will Howard just because I think he's more uh, polished, and he does not have – Jalen Daniels has had injuries often in his career, and who's who's to say he won't get injured again next year? So 
that's where I would land on that. And I, and I know that's probably a little Homerish, but that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, and honestly, I, I do think the the biggest thing, and it's not to say that K-State's offense didn't have good games with Adrian Martinez because that tech game and that OU game, I really kind of think back on uh, being great. And I think he still kind of gets a little bit uh, too much, uh, you know, flack for, uh, you know, his performance. Uh, but when you look at what Will Howard was able to do and who he was able to do it against, I, I don't think it's actually as close as you were letting it on. And honestly, I, I think it, I think if you put Jalen Daniels in a generic offense versus Will Howard, I think Jalen Daniels gets exposed a little bit. I think KU might have one of the top three offensive coordinators in the big 12. Um, and I think it's a little bit of even smoke and mirrors the way he does it. Um, so I, I think he's, he, he, he just sets up a lot of stuff. I, I think all the credit to KU. Um, but I think they might have a little bit tougher time this year. Now that folks are getting to see that offense a second time. All right, let's move into the want, uh, defensive players. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I totally almost forgot. De- yes. Let, let's hear defense. Yeah. I, I'll go through this starting at the front. Um, I kind of picked one from defensive line, defensive end, linebacker, safety corner. So in the middle defensive tackle, uh, Gabe Hall from Baylor would be probably the guy that may have gotten a little bit of a snub. Um, he didn't have super numbers last year, 5.5 tackles for loss, 4.5 sacks, but he has, 12 and a half tackles for loss and nine and a half sacks the last two seasons at Baylor. And he's kind of the the main guy left from that great defense. One of the main guys left that I think maybe uh, could have been on that, that all first team preseason team um, defensive end would be Tremont Morris Brosh from central, another central Florida guy. His first time, first team all American athletic conference last year, led the Knights with 13 tackles for loss, six sacks and has, 37 tackles for loss and 16.5 sacks in four seasons at UCF. That's those are pretty good numbers right there. Um, defensive as in the middle uh, linebacker wise would be Ben Bywater from BYU. Um, he has over 200 tackles, 88 solos in the last two seasons. He had four interceptions, three interceptions last year, four tackles for loss, almost 100 tackles. Really solid player. BYU. I, I mean, I don't follow him a lot, but they always seem to have linebackers that are all over the field. I don't know if that's system related or what. Uh, in the safety spot, um, Dadrian Taylor Demarison from Tech, their leading tackler last year, five and a half uh, tackles for loss. Had also had three interceptions in 2022, and has six uh, and 21 pass breakups in the last two seasons. So he's put up really good numbers and is a, a pretty big piece of that Tech defense. And then cornerback, not great numbers, but he's had a great, pretty good career. Woody Washington from Oklahoma, um, he has 153 tackles in his career. 12 pass breakups, five interceptions, and he led uh, Oklahoma. Uh, he's the leading returner for Oklahoma with six pass breakups last year. So he'd be the guy. Those would be my defensive guys that I would have picked uh, that did not make the preseason list. I'm a little offended. Uh, you, you didn't go with Daniel Green and be a true homer, I, you know. Yeah, I I thought I, about being homery, but I I went with the guy that had kind of the career numbers because Green – I. I do think Green is going to be a first teamer. I do think he will uh, this year. No, and I think that's perfectly valid. And, and, and I'll ask this before we move into talking about the newcomers. Obviously, I, th- I think it had more to do with uh, the media folks, uh, and myself included, not media, but hey, I, I got to vote anyways. Um, not watching a ton of these newcomers. 
Um, do you think after going through that that exercise, did you come away being higher, lower, or about what you expected on the four newcomers after going through your own all-conference type of list? I, I would say about what I expected on maybe Cincinnati or Houston, um, maybe in the middle – a little bit higher on BYU, although I'm, I'm a little torn on them. And I think, I do think UCF, like I said before, could be, I've, I think they've got the best chance of the four uh, to, to make a move into the top three or four of the league. Um, I think they've got the best shot of that um, just because of what they return. Um, I think they've got some really good players. Um, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati are, are both would, I think, they're all 11, 12, 13 in the preseason. I think that's probably about right, but we'll see. I think BYU has the highest ceiling of those just because of the transfers they pulled in, but they still have tons of questions on if, if they can actually do that. Let, let's talk about UCF. Um, they were voted in the upper half. Um, I think they belong there. You know, I think they had the roster most ready. I think they had the coach most ready for the move. Um when when you take a look at me and you talked about it, do you think that they will end up in the top half? And even long term, do you think that they're the most uh, or best positioned to be a consistent top six or better type team of the four newcomers? I I I, I do think for sure they're the best position of the four newcomers. You got your quarterback back. You have an eight hundred yard rusher back, even though you lost an eight hundred yard rusher, but the quarterback led the team in rushing anyway. Um, you got you did lose a really good receiver, but you've got two guys that were pretty equivalent to him back uh, that are both very good. Um, offensive line, you did have some major losses. They lost a first teamer and two second teamers from the uh, American Conference, but they brought in a really good transfer. Have a, a, a really solid guy that's back. It was a first teamer as well. Defensively, they have more some more losses, and uh, defensively, um, it looks like that's where they're projected could be the weakest, although, you know, in the, in the preseason projections, uh, they're rated pretty evenly on offense and defense, 37th on offense, 36th on defense, according to Bill Connolly, as far as projected offense going into this, this year. Um, I kind of broke, I, I took all the major, uh, four major preseason polls and kind of put them together. Uh, Bill Connolly's SP plus Kelly Ford, who's on Twitter, who I think has a great system Athlon and college football news, I didn't put Phil Steele in here because, A, I'm not going to pay 20 bucks for his magazine because I don't think he's that good. And I think a lot of stuff he just kind of makes up uh, based on like based on seeing things as a better and not as a analyst of college football. And I think there's two different I think that's two different things. So I've always questioned Phil Steele a little bit. Anyway, that's my diatribe on Phil. But looking uh, at those guys, Kleiman also, by the way. <laughs> That, that's yeah. a fun antidote from the one time we interviewed him. Uh, I think he was that's leaving right. our conversation to talk to Phil Steele, and he did not want to. He does not like Phil Steele. <laughs> anyway, so UCF is – I kind of have the Big 12 broken into tiers based on the preseason rankings. Um, you could almost put Texas separate because they're the only team that's in the top 10 average. Um, then you kind of have Oklahoma, K-State, TCU, and Texas Tech in the top 20, 25. Then you have Baylor, Oklahoma State, UCF, all about 40. 
38 to 40. Then you have Iowa State and Cincinnati, about 50. And then you have KU, BYU, Houston, and West Virginia between 55 and 60 if, if you average all the preseason rankings. So UCF was is in that second tier. I think they're most likely to finish there. Uh, they've got uh, some good matchup numbers as well as far as I looked at Kelly Ford and he projected the ranking of the offenses you will face this year and the ranking of the defensive you will face this year. And I, I compared that with your projected offense and your projected defense and, and UCF has favorable defenses to face for a pretty good offense and their defense versus opposing offenses is about even. So UCF has, is got a favorable schedule as far as looking at that is how that goes. Um, but I think we'll help them out. And they've got what I would consider probably the third easiest schedule in the league as well. They take play, they don't play uh, Texas and TCU. So you're taking two of the better three or four or five teams off their schedule. So that's something we're going to get into is the unbalanced schedule, which I, I don't love, but it's part of what you got to do. Let's move to BYU. And I think moving forward, I think they're always going to be the toughest team for anyone to preview um, they're always going to be significantly older than anyone they face. Um, when you look at their base recruiting, I don't think it's going to change at all because of their ties to the LDS church, but it also brings in uh, being a marquee transfer destination for anyone of that faith who may have gone elsewhere. Um, I, I always think that they're going to be the toughest team to pin down. Uh, when you're looking at them, you know, was it tougher than others to try to get a, get an idea and then moving forward, um, where for this season, where do you think they're going to be best at on the field? Yeah, a couple things on that. Number one, um, I really like their coach. I think Kalani Satake. How do you say that? You know how to pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, no, Kalani Satake. You had it perfect. Satake, okay. Anyway, I think he's really good. He's got two double digit win seasons there. Um, he kind of got hired a little bit out of nowhere uh, at the time, looking back, but um, he's done a good job. Now, they do have huge losses. I mean, they, they lost a, a quarterback that threw for 3,000 yards and had 30 touchdowns and is an NFL draft pick. Um, so that's big. They lost six of their seven leading rushers. Uh, they lost their leading receiver. They lost an All-American offensive lineman to Baylor, of all, which is the BYU to Baylor. That's so weird. But, well, it's okay. <laughs> uh, and then they lost that, that, run, that offensive lineman's little brother, who's also probably going to be a really good player as well. So – they had some major losses. Defensively, they do return five of their top six in tackles, although they lose their two uh, top two defensive backs. So now, here's where I'll get to. I think their quarterback probably will be their quarterback. Uh, Kedden Slovis used yep, to be Slovis. At, yep, used to be at USC and at Pitt. Uh, has a high high ceiling if he puts it together. Here's a guy with nearly 10,000 yards passing and 68 touchdowns in his career, but he's also thrown 33 interceptions in his career, and that was kind of his big bugaboo last year at Pitt. Uh, he had 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions at Pitt. But how much of that is Pitt, and how much of that is uh, how much will that change at BYU in a different offense? He had 58 touchdowns and 24 interceptions at USC as well. So. He's been a, a turnover prone, but obviously you're throwing that many yards. Some of that system, but that, some of that's being really, really good. Uh, you yeah. mentioned running backs. 
Well, let me just say about Slovis since he brought it up. This may be fair. It may be unfair. He does have a reputation kind of being a bit of a head case as well. Uh, And I I think he left both USC and Pitt under uh, not bad. He's not a bad person by any means, but it sounds like he, he, he didn't make a lot of friends in the locker room or in the stands on his way out of both places. So might be a guy that if, uh, if someone can lay a hit on him or get a pick early on in a game, might be someone who kind of goes into a shell when the lights are the brightest. Yeah. And, and to give BYU credit, they also brought in one of the best Juco quarterbacks in the country. Jeff Retzlaff threw for 4,600 yards and 44 touchdowns last year. You know, I know that's California Juco, which is wide open and crazy, but still – that's a pretty good backup plan. It reminds me of yeah. when K-State used to bring in those California Juco quarterbacks and, uh, you know, last one Mark Dunn. So you never know. I mean, I I think I, I, I picked Slovis as, as the kind of wild card, but that that's the – you never know how that could fit in that system. Yeah, and if he kind of packs it in, I, yeah. I would not be shocked to see them go there. And uh, that'll be interesting. I, I You know, I, this wasn't a question. I almost think BYU is the most – uh, interesting of the four teams to to look at coming into the season. I, I think they, you pointed out, I think they probably might have the highest variance, but I'll stop cutting you off. Now, wait, now and running back wise, which one did you pick in your poll? Uh, it, it was the transfer who came in. Um, I need to pull up my poll. Robbins or Smith? Uh, Robbins or Smith? I think Smith. Okay. Smith's the guy that came from Colorado. Yes. Robbins came from UNLV. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It was Robbins. It was the guy from UNLV. Yeah. Robbins, but he had either one of them. Both of, yeah, I mean, they're both he, solid players. Yeah, because he was my, the Mountain West uh, running back yes. of the year. So no, that, that it was the guy from UNLV. Yeah, yeah. My 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 deal with him is I don't know why he didn't play at Louisville at all. Like he was at Louisville two years and hardly got a snap. But then he blew up last year. He also, it's also weird for a guy to have a thousand yards, almost five yards per carry, and only one touchdown, which was that was an odd stat for me. But and then the guy from Colorado was so bad, you don't know how good or bad Deion Smith is, but he's a solid guy they brought in. I mentioned the tight end, Isaac Rex, is really good. They have two uh, two of their top three receivers, Cody Epps and Canal Hill, both very solid. Um, for their six, uh, five of their top six in tackles, uh, some really good defensive linemen. They didn't rack up a lot of sacks last year. Uh, but, yeah, they're an intriguing team for sure. And I they could they – could, finish anywhere from fifth or sixth to 13th. Yeah. I just think they have such a wide range. And and I think the stability of the coaching staff could help them a little bit as well. Let's go to a coaching staff. I am not high on, I think almost all this shine off of Cincinnati came off when fickle left and then they hired Sattersfield. Um, I'm still shocked at that hire, by the way. Uh, Cincinnati has a pedigree of hiring good coaches. They're about to move from the AAC up to the Big 12. They, you know, went to the college football playoff as a G5 team. Um, I, I'm still flabbergasted. Like, I, I can't get over that hire. I think the single worst Power 5 hire uh, this past cycle, um, how are they going to stack up in year one? And are, are you are, are you on the same same, you know, plane as me? when it comes to the Scott Satterfield, uh hate, or am I being a little harsh? And again, I like to bring this up because I'm transparent. The very first time we were asked on this show, guys, you would like to see us hire when Bill Snyder hangs it up. Scott Satterfield was on my list. Uh, so again, I like to point out how bad of an AD I would be because I'm transparent. 
and I don't try to hide from my bad calls. So w- what are your thoughts on UC? I, I agree completely that, I mean, I, I think, I don't think Louisville is that bad of a program and to go basically 500 and under 500 in the American in four seasons is a bad look. Um, not very good. The be- his best season there was an eight and five year in 2019. Um, he had a good record at App State, but you know I think Sun Belt to P5 is probably a l- little bit of a coin flip. So uh, I think we saw the the downside of the coin with Satterfield's uh, record at Louisville, but somehow he gets a second chance. Since like, I'm with you, like, I'm like it looked like he was on the verge of being fired at Louisville, and then he gets plucked up. Um, to, to get to go to Cincinnati. Yeah. He's they're an interesting team that they have kind of a wide range. They're as high as 39 in college football news and as low as 61 in Athlon. Um, so, so that's good for them. <clears throat> they have the, the thing that could help them is the schedule. They don't have Texas, K-State, TCU and Texas tech on their schedule. That's four of the top five or six in the league. They don't have to play. That's a big deal. Um, they also have pretty favorable matchups if you look at their offense versus opposing defenses and their defense versus opposing offenses. They're decently even in both those categories, which I think helps them. Now, they're relying on transfers as well. I don't think they hit the transfer portal nearly as well as BYU. Emory Jones from Arizona State and Florida – and he's kind of all over the place and has thrown a ton of it picks in his career. Never had a great season. I, you know, I can't really judge him too much on Arizona state season last year with the mess that was. Um, <clears throat> they lost their best running back. Their running backs returning. Nobody's gained more than 360 yards. They could be fine, but they, they look like pretty marginal running backs. They lost their top eight receivers from their team. That's major losses. Top eight. <laughs> Top eight receivers. (laughs) They brought in a guy from Miami who had about 700 yards over two seasons. They brought in a guy from Washington State who had about 800 yards over the last two seasons. They brought in a guy from Florida who had about 700 yards over two seasons. So solid-looking guys, but not great-looking transfers. Uh, Then they lost, let's see, four, six of their top nine in tackles and weren't a great defense anyway and they lost their pass best pass rusher by far guy had 21 ivan pace had 21 and a half tackles for loss and 10 sacks last year he's gone that's a pretty major hit and then they lost what i would consider five of their best six defensive backs so i mean they've got losses all over the field as far as as what what they're losing uh and i just don't know if a guy you bring in a new coach in that situation you know, I think, you know, if Fickle was still there, I think I would give him a shot to build them back up. But I don't know if Satterfield uh, – I would have probably picked them last in the league, even behind West Virginia, given what I saw about their roster and their coaching turnover. Yeah, I I, I think Satterfield if, – if I'm a Cincinnati fan, I, I want my AD to have a quick trigger. Uh, you know, I think it would be a bad look firing a guy after one season. Uh, it's been done before, I'm sure, but after year two – uh, I'd be wanting to fire and try to find a new guy. Speaking of getting fired, uh, one of two Big 12 coaches 
maybe three, but officially two Big 12 coaches I am predicting will get fired. I actually have Houston quick trigger firing Dana Holgerson uh, after this season. Um, I think that they're going to be pretty, pretty, pretty bad. And I think that the Houston fan base and, you know, they have some big time donors. I think that they will, uh, you know, give Dana the ax after this season, try to make a big splash next off season. Where do you think Houston's going to come in? Are they going to come in as a line or a lamb? And are you going to join me in the prediction of Dana Holgerson getting fired? I, I think it's real likely. Um, I, I think they're in a similar situation. Um, they had major, major losses um, on both sides of the ball. Um, so they, they've got a lot to replace. Lost a really good quarterback, 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns last year. I mean, that's – and their leading rusher uh, in, in Clayton Toon. So that's that's a major, major loss. Um, they lost another really good running back. They lost three of their top five receivers. They lost uh, – let's see here – eight of their top nine in tackles um, and, and the defense was their strength or was decent um, schedule wise. Uh, they're, they're not the best because they don't play OU, but they also don't play Iowa state KU and Baylor. So they didn't get really great favorable schedule. Um, they are projected to have uh, the second worst defense in the league behind only KU rated 101 in Connolly's preseason poll, and they're playing uh, the average, their offensive strength of schedule that they're facing is number 29. So that's a pretty big gap in their offense versus defense. Now their offense is, is playing worse defenses. They've got the most, one of the more favorable <clears throat> offense versus defensive matchups uh, schedule wise in the league. But I, I just, I think that defense is going to really struggle and the, the Big 12 is an offensive league. I think it's going to be tough for them uh, to have enough offense to make up for them. Um, Transfer-wise, uh, they they did bring in some decent decent players. Donovan Smith, I think, is a solid quarterback. I always thought he was okay at <clears throat> Texas Tech, but not great. Um, I think Tony Mathis is a decent running back that came over from West Virginia. Um, solid player. They got two pretty good wide receivers back. Um, they brought in some decent defensive guys, including uh, David Wagba from Oklahoma, who's solid. Couple uh, a safety in a corner, a middle linebacker in a corner through the transfer portal as well. So we'll see. Um, but I, I would pick them ahead of of probably uh, Cincy and West Virginia, but not much more than that if I was picking. <laughs> yeah, and and I also when you look at K State's home schedule, I have Houston as the uh, second most likely win, only behind uh, Missouri State, or no, SEMO. Yeah. Excuse me, we got SEMO. Um, I, I I think even more than Troy. If we were to lose that game, um, I would probably go old school 2010 Scott Wildcat meltdown if we lost uh, versus Houston at home. And I even said that on a Houston podcast. So not only would I be melting down because I think we should smash them. Uh, there would probably be 7,000 angry Cougar fans in my mentions uh, trying to uh, get a pound of flesh for saying that there was no shot Houston would come into Manhattan and win. Uh, so, so I hope the boys back me up on that one. Uh, we'll we'll move forward and we'll, we'll start talking about more than just the newcomers. But before we do, 
Uh, Jimmy, the last time we, we did a show during Blitz Month, and again, we might have to do your official Blitz Month preview here as well. We're at Manhattan Brewing Company. Not only do they always have 10, 12, 11, they have so many beers on tap. They have four packs to go, crowlers to go, and some pretty cool merch. They have food trucks coming by almost daily in the summer, and it is the best spot to cool off under this very unforgiving Kansas heat. So if you're in the happiest place in the world, Manhattan, Kansas, make sure you check out the brewery and tap room. And if you're not, go into your local liquor store politely, but firmly say, I want Manhattan Brewing Company four packs in this liquor store. I promise you, your new favorite beer is waiting for you at Manhattan Brewing Company. Just got to try all 12 to figure out which one it is. Actually, I don't endorse that. Don't drink 12 beers. Uh, (laughs) Unless you have an, a DD and you're only doing tasters, twelve beers—that's that's a lot. That's a lot. But if there was a place I was going to do twelve different beers, it'd be Manhattan Brewing Company. I love those guys and I love their beers. Also, before you know it, the pumpkin beer is going to be back. Pumpkin batch, baby. Hashtag pumpkin boy. Check it out very soon. All right, let's get into it. Uh, talking about more than just the newcomers. When you look at how the preseason poll shook out, and even if you want to go beyond that, if you want to go with uh, you know, how the general population is talking about Big 12 football coming into the season. Which teams do you think are receiving too much love after you dove into the conference? Good, good question. Most of this is going to be based on preseason stuff. And I know that those aren't always right, but I I, I think guys like Bill Connolly, Kelly Ford, um, and, and the other projections give you decent models that you can look at, and they're probably right more often than wrong. Um you know, most people would want to say Oklahoma or Texas. I'm not, I don't think that, I think they're fairly rated compared to their matchups and their schedules, um, especially Oklahoma, um, more so than Texas. But um, if, if I'm looking at a team that, and this is not, I'm not trying to be homerish, but I think KU pick ninth uh, has, has number one, a pretty tough schedule. Uh, number two, uh, until that defense shows me they're going to be in the top 100 or the top 70 or the top 60, they're rated 106 in Connolly's preseason rankings, and they're facing um, top 35 offensive schedule. Uh, that's going to be tough. And the other end of that is they face the toughest defensive schedule in the league uh, of any team. Their, their offense is rated at 31st, but their overall defensive schedule is 22, which is better than any team in the league as far as the defenses they're matching up against, according to Kelly Ford. So because of those matchups, um, I think that's going to make it tough. Um, Schedule-wise, they avoid TCU and and Baylor, and then they avoid Houston and West Virginia. So, um, you know, some decent teams they avoid, but some also bad teams they avoid. So We'll hope Allen isn't listening to this podcast because he might yell at you when he sees you. But I'm just – this is all based purely on the numbers and the matchups – They've got the worst matchup differential and a middle of pack schedule and a defense that that I don't think is going to be that much better based on the transfers they brought in. Uh, so I, I think they could be as good as last year's team, which finished, what, 55 in the F-plus. So they were solid, but they weren't – I mean, Iowa State finished ahead of them in the F-plus, if that tells you anything. Uh, it tells so, me a lot. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and you know me, I'm an F-plus believer. I think it's it's not – perfect it's not a science but i think it's solid um so um i i think they are the team that could slide 
uh, just because um, that defense, if they don't get better, they're going to be in big trouble. All right, let's counter that. Who isn't getting enough love? Um, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably go with what I said, kind of my team, my dark horse would be uh, UCF. I think they, I mean, they still got picked what eighth in the preseason, but I think they could be more like fifth or sixth if I was picking. I think um, they've got a lot back. They've got a good offensive coach with good offensive players, lots of returning, you know, biggest question marks on the offensive line. Defensive line, I mean, they lost some guys on defense, but they still have some good guys back. They've got balanced and offensive and defensive look. <clears throat> They've got a favorable schedule without Texas and TCU. Um, so so I would go UCF as a team that I think uh, could finish higher than most people think. So a lot of the talk, especially folks who lean on the numbers uh, and, and even some that don't, uh, I listen to so many different podcasts. I try to read as much as I can as well. There are some folks who are going as far as saying it would be a massive failure for Texas not to win the conference based on what they see quote unquote on paper. Um, and it's only kind of the uh, hilarity, the clown car uh, show that Texas has been post Mac Brown that anyone wouldn't pick them to win the conference. Um, so when you look at it, when, when, when you, I mean, you're, you're by the numbers. I mean, I said on, on the show, I didn't pick Texas to win because I wasn't going to pick them to win in their final year. That's why I picked K state. Um, if you would have hooked me up to a lie detector test, I probably would say it's going to be Texas, but is it really that much of a gap? Is it really, you know, Hey, this would be a failure for them not to win. Uh, when you look at it on paper or Hey, does it match up? It, are they really kind of looking like that possible, even playoff contender national championship type contender? When you look at the numbers, I, I mean, the numbers love them. Um, I, I know we say this every year, but, but, the numbers love them. They're the only team ranked inside the top 10 in any preseason projection of any Big 12 team. Sixth by Kelly Ford, ninth by Conley, 11th by Athlon, 12th by College Football News. Uh, the only team with an average ranking inside the top 10. Um, the only team with an offense and defense projected to be in the top 20, 11 on offense, 16 on defense. An extremely favorable, uh, pretty decent schedule. They don't play Oklahoma State. Uh but they also don't play UC, uh, UCF, Cincinnati, and West Virginia. So, you know, they got they got in some ways a tougher tougher schedule, and they play Alabama in the non conference as well. So, so that's going to be a challenge. Um, they have favorable matchups uh, both on offense and defense versus their opponents. Um, and then you look at you know last year, every loss they had was seven points or less. All of their five losses were seven points or less. They had five wins of at least eighteen points. So. Um, they've blew out teams, uh, but it's still Texas and, and Texas has always come down to in the last decade, at least I'll believe it when I see it. And they had one season when they were back kind of, and everybody, the question every year is, is Texas back? They always have the talent. They did well in the transfer portal. I think yours is a good quarterback. I mean, they had big losses at running back, but they've got talented guys in the wings. They've got, uh, a really, really talented wide receiver. I'm um, going back to our earlier question. The other guy I would have picked um, uh, to be uh, a player of the year candidate would have been uh, Xavier Worthy, um, Texas wide receiver, who has had really good two seasons there. He would be my second player of the year pick behind uh, Gabriel. So they've got a lot of good things going for him. They've got a 
you know, an improving defense and they were solid on defense last year. So I, I can't discredit them based on the numbers because that's what I do. But I also experience tells you when will this team really show it and is Sark the guy to get it done. And I'm, I don't know that I can say that definitively. When it comes to Xavier Worthy, and, and I like that shout, and I think uh, I think he was, I think I heard the second highest vote getter behind Jalen Daniels. I heard from a very trusted source that my guy Cooper Beebe, the guy I voted for as offensive uh, player of the year, got ten votes. Um, so I oh, was what? not alone. I was not alone voting yes. for Cooper Beebe. Uh, but Xavier Worthy, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, the last time a wide receiver won the Heisman. One Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator. Uh, so if, if someone uh, you know wants to look into that type of stuff, as a Heisman voter, I can't bet on who will win the Heisman Trophy, uh, but that might be a piece of information folks would like to hear. Um, let's talk about it. Unbalanced schedules, hate it. I I, I, I want to go back to ten. It's never going to happen. Uh, but the thing I'm I'm going to miss more than Texas and Oklahoma, I'm going to miss round robin football and double round robin in basketball. Um, I miss it. I miss it so much. But that being said, it's the first time in over a decade that we have unbalanced schedules. How much has that affected how you tried to look at and project out the conference? And I love how you you even threw together uh, not just that, but uh, you know the average offense and defense versus. Uh, what they're being projected at. Absolutely love that you threw that together. Uh, so that tells me it, it definitely, uh, you know, affected how you looked at the, uh, uh, how the conference season is going to go. Yeah, it's, it. I mean, it's, it's, you got so many variables to look at when with unbalanced schedules. It's really hard to, to kind of put it together in, in some ways, but it's fun. I mean, I like this kind of stuff. Um, I do, I mean, looking at schedules, I just, I, I did a lot of this by hand, so I may have missed a few, but, if you look at the huge difference makers, by far the easiest schedules are Cincinnati, who I mentioned before. They don't play number one, number two, number four, number five in the preseason projection. So that's that's pretty nice. And then Oklahoma State would be a close second. They don't play number one, number four, number five, and number six in the preseason projections of the Big 12. So Cincinnati, Oklahoma. Oklahoma even is, is has no game versus number two, four, and six. Uh, and then UCF has no game versus number one and five. West Virginia has no game versus number one and two. So um, those are the teams that have the easiest schedules that um, could make a difference. Um, I didn't, you know, the other thing I didn't look at is home versus away, which is another factor, but I'm just looking at raw uh, projections and, and who you do or don't play. Then you look at the other end, um, K-State, we actually, you know, have a tougher road because we don't play 11, 13, and 14. So that that's a tough slate. Texas doesn't play 8, 13, and 14. Um, KU doesn't play 13 and 14. Houston doesn't play 10 and 11. Uh, and then uh, TCU doesn't play 8, 7, 8, 9, or 13. So those are the teams that have the toughest schedules. You know, probably us has – probably K-State on paper has the toughest schedule because of we, we're the only team with, with no games against – three double-digit projected teams in the Big 12. So it's going to make a difference. You know, home and away will make a difference as well where you play those teams. But it it, it does make it more complicated. You know, I, I don't know how the league put the schedules together. I think part of it was based on who they thought was going to be good, et cetera. But there's no perfect way to do that uh, with with 14 teams and, and two teams leaving and just all the dynamics. 
I think they did a probably about as good as they could have putting together the schedule, but, but it, at the end of the year, it's going to be a major talking. It's easy to make that talking point now, but when records really come out, it's going to be a major talking point when we're talking about uh, where teams are in November. And, and whether or not it should or shouldn't be the, the two schools that kind of get singled out is, Oh man, this was so easy. Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. Um, if it would have been balanced, and again, I think most of it is because of Oklahoma's leaving and Oklahoma State's a legacy team, but how much would those, what you think about those two schools differ if it, if it was an old-school balanced scheduling? Um, and do you think that they will kind of uh, get a bump based on their schedules? Yeah, I, I would say Oklahoma State has the most likely biggest, bigger bump um, um, just because they're going to – they benefit – from schedule as much as anybody. And I think they're a middle of the pack team at best, uh, but the schedule could bump them up. I think Oklahoma was pretty good anyway. And I have, you know, they have very favorable offense versus defensive matchups, the best, the most favorable offense versus opposing defensive matchups in the league. Their defense versus opposing offenses is not great, but it's not awful. Um, um, on the other side, um, when I look at Oklahoma State, their 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 defense versus opposing offenses is not good, but their offense versus opposing defense is pretty good. So it kind of balances out for them. Uh, but I do think Oklahoma State has the better likelihood to uh, to move up more than they should than Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's already pretty high, so it's harder to move up to. I love it. All right, we we got the last handful of questions. The Charlie Hustle question of the podcast. Remember, check out charliehustle.com, vintage made fresh. Get you some new K-State merch. It's awesome, and it's super comfortable. Uh, when you look at it all on paper, and, and this is kind of bearing the lead, and you, you don't have to uh, – actually, I skipped one. Uh, I, I skipped it. Uh, if you, I'm going to go back to this one. Okay. I'm going to go back to this one, then I'll do the Charlie mm-hmm. Hustle podcast. Uh, give me your one through 14. We, we, I mean, th- this is a little bit of spoiler for when we when you come on and I'll have you pick your Big 12 championship game. Um, but if you if you were to participate in the media poll, how would you have done one through 14? Then we're going to get back to the Charlie Hustle question in the pod. Can't believe okay. I skipped over that. That's my fault. I've, I've kind of got them in groups, some of them in pairs, some of them separate. So it's kind of tiered a little bit. One, one, two, I have Texas and K-State. I think they're the best two teams, probably. Oklahoma's close to that tier, but I dropped them a little bit. Um, I think uh, Oklahoma and Tech, I would kind of put together. Uh, UCF, I have kind of separate at number five, but they're pretty close to that group. Then uh, the next group would be TCU and Baylor. And then I kind of have Oklahoma State separate. And I have a group with KU and BYU together. And I have a group with kind of probably Iowa State, Houston, and then uh, Cincinnati and West Virginia, kind of to bring up the right, the the tail end. So that that's kind of how I would uh, place them. Maybe I go back and forth on Houston and Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati's got the better metrics, but the worst coach. Houston doesn't have a great coach, but they do have the continuity, and I think they did a little bit better through the transfer portal. So. Those are the tougher ones for me, honestly. Yeah, and see, that that would have been better to do before I asked about, you know, if the schedule affects what you did with the schools from Oklahoma. Well, you know and that's what? tougher because I, 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 
put those together, I didn't, I didn't, I, I looked at schedules a little bit when I put those together, but not a lot. Cause it's, it's hard because to do that comparison, then compare yeah. where they're in the metrics. That's, there's a lot of moving parts there. Yes, there is. Um, so we'll go back to the Charlie Hustle question, which maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have just asked this <laughs> instead of doing the one through 14 because uh, it did tip the hand. But you know what? It is what it is. I'm not a professional podcaster. I'm I'm just doing this for the love of the game. Uh, but the Charlie Hustle question of the pod, uh, charliehustle.com, vintage made fresh. Get yourself a new comfortable K-State t-shirt to wear to that stripe out game. Purple or white, they got it all. Does K-State deserve the hype they're getting, not only internally from fans, but the college football world at large? The number two championship vote getters in the uh, media poll. Uh, multiple folks out in the media picking us to repeat. Lots of folks have us going to Arlington. Um, I've, you know, I think I've only seen a handful of folks picking the under uh, win total at seven and a half. Lots of hype externally and internally around K-State. I'm guessing by the fact that you had us up there with Texas, you do think it is deserved. Uh, but if that is the case, why is that the case? Good question. I think a combination. I think you have a really good head coach. <clears throat> with a really good staff and you kept almost all your staff. I think that's huge uh, for culture in college football and I think culture in the portal era may be as big as it ever has been. Um, I think you've got a program that's recruited better and also proven you can develop and also kept players around in the program um, without having lots of key losses, especially on at the transfer portal. Um, there's a little bit of a Deuce Vaughn effect as being a very popular college football player last year. They got K-State some attention. Uh, but you have Will Howard, who's obviously proven to be a capable quarterback. You have your whole offensive line back with tons of starts. Um, and defensively, it's a little bit different because there's a little bit more unproven, but you still have a key playmaker at all three levels. You have Kobe Savage in the secondary. You have Daniel Green, a linebacker. You have Clay Duke on the front. Um, you do have to fill some spots. You know, have to shore up the interior of the defensive line um, with Uso and others. <clears throat> you have to fill in some some missing uh, secondary players that, that you've got to replace. Key losses. You've got to fill in uh, for Deuce Vaughn, of course, and then you've got to fill in for uh, wide receiver losses uh, to your best three wide receivers. But the other things I think outweigh that and and everybody else has losses. Everybody else, if if there was one team that had a ton of guys back, maybe you would change your mind on that. But everybody has a key loss on both sides of the ball. So so I think that's not unique to us. So I think that puts us in a good position. I know we're closer to it, but when you look at you know those things you need to fill in, I think Brandon Mott is tied for the most sacks returning from the 2022 season. Um, if there's one spot on the field I'm not going to worry about until they give me reason to worry about, it's the secondary. They seem yeah. to always be pulling guys there. Um, despite some of the arguments I got with some folks, uh, you know, I think the wide receivers, you have potential there. A lot of young yes. guys with speed. Uh, and then we'll talk about them later. I think you're actually, when you look at pure production from the running back spot, I don't think it's going to make, I don't think there's going to be nearly as big a drop off as some folks are thinking. So uh, I agree with you. I love it. I can't wait to talk more K-State in depth with you later on in August for the Blitz Month. And we'll end with the Manhattan Brewing Company four-pack of final questions. We just might have to do our show 
from the Manhattan Brewing Company tap room um, next time. I mean, that might have to be what we do. Uh, but here's the final four. Remember, your new favorite beer is waiting for you on tap at Manhattan Brewing Company. Let's do it. Of the four incoming schools, for your opinion, this is the most Bosco's Boys question there is, who has the best uniforms? And it's funny as I thought about this one, because part of this one is my own personal bias that I'll get into. Um, I would put the top as BYU. Uh, I like blue. I think the the Y logo is iconic. Um, they've got some cool co- color uh, combinations and, and some creative uniforms, but they have uh, just, I think, the the classic BYU blue and white is a pretty iconic uniform, and they do some cool things with it. Uh, UCF would be second. They've got a lot of cool combinations with the black and the gold and the silver and and the stuff that they can do. Then my I hate red. I can't stand the color red, so I cannot pick Houston or Cincinnati anywhere uh, just because – and they may have some cool combinations in the black and all that stuff, but anybody that has red in their uniform, I'm not going to like it. So um, BYU, UCF, and then the others suck because they're red. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. BYU does the color uh, swaps perfectly. I think for for helmet, jersey, and pants, they have a royal blue, a white, and a navy for all three of them, and then they do the mix and match perfectly. Um, UCF kind of has that Oregon thing going on. They do a lot of alternate stuff. Uh, Houston is fine. Cincinnati's at the bottom because they – I, I didn't even know this until I was making fun of their new Big 12 uniforms. So they don't didn't even sign a deal with Nike. They signed a deal similar yeah. to like high school teams do and uh, <laughs> through a distributor, and they're just slapping logos onto base templates and not even base templates that are coming from Nike. Mm-hmm. Stuff that they're getting out of a, an East Bay catalog. Um, it, and it's bad. It is bad. <laughs> so I, I'm right there with you on that one. Here's the uh, next one. If, if you could only pick one player who make needs to make the biggest jump for K-State to make it back to Arlington, what player are you choosing? Man, it's it's it was tough for me. It's tough to pick one player. Um, if I was going to be forced to pick a returner, it might be R.J. Garcia, because I think we need to shore up uh, explosiveness at the wide receiver spot. And, and it, you know, it could also be Keegan Johnson just to prove it since he was injured last year and didn't play much, and he came – He's a little bit harder to tell because he came from Iowa, who's not exactly known for offense. But clearly he did some good things there. So uh, I think wide receiver position for sure is the the place we have to prove it. I think Brooks will be very steady, uh, but they need other guys to step up. And then then maybe if I had to pick a senior single player, it might be Uso, just because Eli Huggins was such a big uh, part of the the defense – Something you don't pay a lot of attention to because if you're a great defensive tackle and a three-man front, you're not going to get a lot of stats. You're not going to make a bunch of plays as far as at the football, but you're going to make a bunch of plays because you eat up two or three blockers every time and you get to the right gap and you don't ever make a mistake and get misaligned or go to the wrong gap. And I think it's it's – Eli Huggins didn't have a ton of tackles for loss or tackles or sacks, but he was so good at what he did uh, that it made the rest of defense better. So Uso, if I was forced to pick one guy, it might be Uso uh, and what he's going to be doing at that man in the middle uh, at the defensive line. I think that's 100% correct. Uh, Opinions can't be wrong. 
that's what folks say. I don't really believe that, but I, I think you have that one spot on. Um, here's the next one. You mentioned at the top, Kansas City Royals barreling towards the worst finish in franchise history. Who makes the playoffs first, the Kansas City Royals or the Kansas State Fighting Wildcats college football team? Uh, and this is the final year of a four-team uh, playoff starting in 2024. There is a uh, way to get in with an automatic bid. Um, so I know what my answer would be. So what's your answer? Yeah, I, w- I went honestly. I went a little bit back and forth, um, but but I do think with the new college football playoff system, K State will have a much better shot of, of getting in just because win the Big Twelve and you can do it, and the Big Twelve uh, should be up for grabs most years. And K State has a program that looks to be poised in position to to get in that position. So I would say K State. I do think the Royals will get better. I think this is the Valley for the Royals. Uh, I'm not, I don't know how long it'll take. I don't think they're great at what they're doing right now, but I also don't necessarily think they're incompetent. And some of the, I, you know, I'll follow all the, I don't read a lot of Royals right now because I can't stand it, but some of the Royals Twitter analytical people once in a while will throw out a little carrot of hope for the future of the Royals, but. It's just hard to believe right now, as as bad as they are, uh, where they're going to be. <laughs> yeah, I I'm about as down on the Royals as possible. I'm thinking we're going to have like another 29, 30 year playoff drought. But I'm <laughs> uh, I'm a massive pessimist when it comes to the Royals. Although I will say those two years and hell, even that four year stretch, you know, the yeah. year before and the year after, uh, when you have a competing baseball team there's very little that's as fun especially at professional sports it's very fun it's very fun now yeah. having the greatest quarterback to ever play is also pretty fun yes and and here's <laughs> another plug for charlie hustle uh crown town and arrowhead collection uh if, if you're into those pro teams in kansas city as well i don't like the color red so i got all sorts of gray stuff from their arrowhead collection and then another shout out to manhattan brewing company right at five o'clock today i'm cracking open a raspberry towny wheat so delicious. Final question. Who ends up with more yards from scrimmage? DJ, the Blue Jay Giddens, or Treshawn Ward? I, I truthfully think by the end of the year, I think K-State will have the argument for the best one-two punch at running back. Um, because when you look at what these guys did per touch last year as backups, uh, I don't think folks realize how good these guys are going to be. Uh, and I don't have an answer to this. I, I'll probably try to make this prediction before uh, the season starts. But I think both these guys could be 800, 900 yard type guys. You're, you're, I'm on the line, same line of thinking. Um, I, I'm not sure about Treshawn Ward's high school coaching, but I do know DJ was coached really well in high school. Some of the best high school coaching in the (laughs) nation, from what I heard. You know, I, I'm not there on the ground, but I heard that DJ had some of the best coaches to ever coach high school football. No, but but seriously, you mentioned their their production. Ward's best season at Florida State was 682 yards, six, 6.6 yards per play, seven touchdowns. DJ last year had 616 behind Deuce Vaughn, 6.4 yards per play and six touchdowns. So I would give the nod to DJ just because I think he will be on the field a little bit more because I think he's knows the system. He's been part of the system. So I think that will give him the upper hand. Um I think they're both 
pretty good pass catchers, so they both can catch the ball. And I, I, I'm with you. I would say scrimmage yards from scrimmage, eight to 900 yards for each. I think it'll be more of a two-platoon system. If both stay healthy, that's well within reach. And, and one of them could even get to 1,000. But, you know, I'd put uh, DJ slightly ahead just because I think he'll get a few more snaps uh, than Ward. Um, but they're both going to have really good seats. I, I agree with you. They could be the best pair of backs for any team in the league. Yeah, and Treshawn Ward coming off that hand injury in the spring yep. was no contact. Uh, but I, I, I'm i going to be pumped to see both those guys. That's all I had. Uh, again, I think every time I bring you on, I keep you longer than I said I was going to. Um, but you, you're the best guest we have. You're my dad's favorite guest. I think I get a text message from him every time you come on the pod. Uh, but tell the Boneheads, K-State fans, Big 12 fans in general, uh, anything you'd like uh, before we uh, give you your afternoon back. Yeah, if you're paying attention to K-State Online, uh, I'll, I'll be giving detailed team-by-team -team, uh, previews uh, for every team K-State plays, and I'm probably throwing the, the ones we don't. Uh, D.Y. and I are putting that together. So I think we've rolled out the first two so far. D.Y. will keep rolling those out. So if you want more information on every team we're going to play, um, hit it, hit that up. Um, Twitter, I'll probably be, you know, it's it's as the season gets closer, I'll be putting out more stuff. I'm going to scroll back through all my uh, – Scott mentioned the, the GIF breakdowns of every play, case, or most plays K-State runs on offense, and I'll probably be rolling some packages of out on Twitter of just breaking down some of the stuff we did with certain players and, and, and certain schemes um, and on KSO as well as the, week goes on, as the week's uh, approach for football season. So look for that, and then during the season I'll be – doing my normal advanced stats game by game breakdowns at K-State online and some of that stuff on Twitter. And then uh, the gift breakdowns on K-State online and Twitter as well. So look forward to that. Look forward to being on with Scott a little bit more as well, uh, enjoying the season and, and hopefully seeing K-State have a chance to, to win back-to-back -back titles in the first time in K-State football history. Uh, you might be discounting uh, some stuff that Micah Hearn did back in the Missouri Valley Intercollegiate Athletic Days. Uh, yeah, it could be. That, that I'm not counting. Don't love, don't love that disrespect for Micah Hearn. But no, uh, <laughs> Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on. This week we will have our first, uh, I think, one or two uh, previews. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say who because I haven't even reached out. And then if things go as planned tomorrow, you guys will get to hear my little brother's return to the podcast. Uh, as we do our big 12 dream road trip for this football season. Uh, if anyone's interested on Wednesday, last week, we dropped me and Philip Slavin of the 10 12 network. We did our all of college football dream road trip of uh, things go as planned tomorrow. You'll get to hear me and my brother do our big 12 dream road trip. Uh, so yeah, it's here uh, five shows a week, all the way through November, maybe all the way through the rest of this year. Uh, so buckle up folks. It is the best time of the year, the March to college football season. So for Jimmy, for Chauncey, the best dog in the world, we love you guys and go cats. It's time to get set for the cat attack. Feeling strong, you can join in the action. This is where you want to be with Kansas State. Come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas
Social Podcast Network.